Good morning, good morning. How are we doing this fine Wednesday morning? Beautiful Wednesday morning it is. At least when you look outside. When you look outside, it's a beautiful day. What can I tell you? We have to uh, keep our mood up. Keep our mood up. We uh, count. We're counting down. We're counting down the minutes, the hours. Very late last night, early this morning, our time. The president released the list of commutations and pardons. Almost 150 people. Uh, you know, this uh, yid from Lakewood. This yid from Lakewood that uh, many, many, many people had tried to had had requested his uh, commutation. This yid from Lakewood, many yid, many people had requested. President Trump just commuted the sentence of Muncie resident Shalom Weiss. A Jewish businessman who was sentenced to 835 years in prison to somebody else. The longest, the longest white collar sentence in U.S. history after spending 20 years in prison. 17 members of Congress, 15 members of DOJ officials and judges as well as both secular and Jewish organizations had requested his, um, you know, his freedom. And, Ellie Weinstein from Lakewood. He had served eight years of, of a 24-year sentence. And so with both of these, both of these are, uh, both of these, the, the president has commuted. And I guess, you know, there's a joy and jubilation within the Frum community, the Jewish community worldwide, right? That's a, that's at the very least, uh, that's at the very least how, um, how it's being reported. However, Snowden and Assange did not get their pardons. So, you know, yesterday I wasn't, I wasn't so convinced it was going to happen. I said, you have to see. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have my faith in it. I think there's some, there's, there are times where there are things going on behind the scenes. We don't always understand. It's a different topic. Maybe we'll get into the idea, but uh, nonetheless, that is just how that is. That is that is the list. And with only hours to go, it doesn't seem as though the president is going to be changing his mind. But who knows? Tucker Carlson report uh, apparently reported that Mitch McConnell threatened him with impeachment. Though I'm not convinced that that would have been a deterrent for the president because I think that could have put, put the co- nail in the coffin for the Republican Party and that would have only been beneficial for the president. So I'm not convinced that that's really a deterrent for him. Although, of course, he wouldn't be able to run. That is a problem. You know, you got to be smart. He wouldn't be able to run if he was impeached. But it's not even clear that they'd have the ability to impeach. Uh, a week ago, no one would have said that they had the ability to impeach. Two weeks ago, no one would have said they have the, the, the nobody credible would have said they have the ability to impeach a president once he's no longer in office. It's a, um, it's a, you know, an idea that's only been discussed because of their hatred for the president. But uh, today we're going to devote the show to primarily two different topics. One is obviously we're going to 
discuss a little bit about uh, rem- reminisce. We're going to reminisce about the president four years ago. We're going to we're going to play uh, some clips of the different uh, people who had said he'll never be president. I'm going to play you a clip that you'll I fairly confident no one's ever heard before. Um, anyway, so that's that. We're going to say that for a little bit later to the for the end. Right now, we're going to talk about the assault of big tech and what it means, why it's happening. And examine the playbook that they're that they're using. There's an article that was written by VDH Victor Davis Hansen of the National Review. It's called "Assault on the Capitol Has Let Loose the Electronic Octopus." Big tech and the left unleash a tidal wave of censorship meant to silence foes and settle and settle old scores. Two days after the 2020 election, a defiant Kathy Griffin retweeted the, no, retweeted the notorious picture of her holding a prop that looked like the bloody head of a decapitated Donald Trump. Do we recall that? She faced some backlash after that, but, you know, very, very, very little. Initially, the initial tweet, she retweeted it. When she first tweeted it a couple years ago, she faced some backlash. You know, that was going a little too far. Bloody head of the president. Earlier last year, Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei tweeted out a call to his followers to destroy Israel. Both tweets passed the censorship rules of twenty of Twitter's 20-something judges in San Francisco. In contrast, Trump has been banned for life from Twitter and barred indefinitely from Facebook. Twitter said in a statement that it excluded Trump due to the risk of further incitement of violence. The president had called for thousands of his followers to assemble at a massive Washington, D.C. rally protesting the results of the election. Splinter groups broke off from the massed protesters. Some stormed into the halls of Congress. Social media platforms canceled Trump after he urged his followers, albeit peacefully and patriotically, to go protest at the U.S. Capitol where the mayhem followed. Notice VDH is not claiming that it was in any way connected to the president. It wasn't even his the, the protesters. Splinter groups stormed Congress. You know, you can... After the assault and after Democrats won the presidency, kept the House, took the Senate, and threatened to pack the Supreme Court, furor broke out against Trump. The outrage included the banning of Trump and some of his supporters from social media. Thousands of scared social media users then retweeted, retreated, (laughs) retweeted and retreated, retreated to the more conservative site Parler, but in mere, but in mere unison, unition, Google, Apple, and Amazon removed Parler from their platforms. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri had his upcoming book, A Call to Clamp Down on Big Tech Monopolies, abruptly canceled by publisher Simon & Schuster. Side note, it has been, it has been picked up since by a conservative publisher. But it's not the point. Holly's crime was apparently his quixotic persistence in questioning the authenticity of the 2020 election. What are the new standards that now get a book or a social media account canceled? After all, Vic, the Vicky Osterile book, In Defense of Looting, a justification for, left, for theft and property destruction came out last summer amid the Antifa and Black Lives Matter unrest. The author was even featured on national public radio 
NPR in a largely sympathetic interview. Is Madonna banned from social media shortly after the 2017 inauguration? She voiced a desire to blow up the White House with the Trump family in it. Is AK-47 toting rapper Raz Simone banned from social media? He took over a swath of downtown Seattle last June, of Seattle, downtown Seattle last June, and declared it an autonomous zone. For weeks, his armed guards reigned supreme without worry of police. There were at least four shootings and two deaths in or around Simone's kingdom. He was neither prosecuted nor deplatformed from social media. The lyrics of his song, Shoot at Everyone, are full of racial slurs, stereotypes, and allusions to violence. The song is posted on YouTube, and Simone still enjoys a large social media presence. So why did big tech, the media, the publishing industry, a host of corporations, and a growing number of campuses double down on censoring some free speech? Why blacklist, censor, and and cancel thousands of people now? True, Trump gave them an opening when some rogue supporters vandalized the Capitol. But the real reason is that the left has long been eager to curtail the speech of those it opposes. Last week simply offered, last week simply offered members of the left the sort of perfect crisis that they determined should never go to waste. We all remember that line. Never let a crisis go to waste. Rahm Emanuel, I believe. With the defeated Trump on the way out and with control over the levers of government, leftists abruptly settled at all their old scores. Their aim was not just to humiliate opponents, but to curtail opponents' ability to organize against them. Democrats applauded the censorship, and why not? In a few weeks, they will likely seek to end the Senate filibuster. In a revolutionary fashion, fashion, they may try to admit new states, pack the Supreme Court, and end the Electoral College. Moves designed to emasculate their conservative opposition. Over a century ago, the oil, the railroad, telegraph, and power industries created huge monopolies. They set up vertically integrated cartels and they used their enormous profits to lavish gifts on politicians, control information, and destroy competition. Some people likened these huge trusts to octopuses whose tentacles strangled freedom. In reaction, angry workers and farmers, muckracking journalists and novelists, and crusading populist and progressive politicians passed antitrust laws. And so they broke up the monopolies. Today, however, progressive politicians, Wall Street, the media, academia, Hollywood, and professional sports are all on the side of the mega-rich tech cartels. Partnering with big tech is both politically useful and financially lucrative. So the values of the 19th century rail and oil, oil monopolies are back. But now they are married to the 20th century leftist totalitarianism of George Orwell's 1984. And they are further powered by the 21st century instant reach of the internet. This time around, there will be no progressive trust busters or muckrackers. They're in league with or bought off by the new electronic octopus. 
and its tentacles are strangling the thoughts and speech of an increasingly unfree America. That was VDH last week. And um, that definitely takes on one one approach, one position of one position of why the the big tech companies are doing what they're doing. You know, we've talked before about aligned interests. Not that there's necessarily some not there's necessarily some some global conspiracy. Not that there's necessarily some global conspiracy that everybody is is a part of. But there is there is there are aligned interests. There are aligned interests. So whether or not everybody wants the censorship of speech that they consider to be uh, speech they consider to be uh, inciting violence or whether or not some people really just want competition to be squashed as another position. You know that they might be they might be jumping on the bandwagon here, but really they they're just looking to for any sort of regulation that's going to eliminate their competition. You think CNN and MSNBC and all the other uh, lamestream media? Do you think they want conservative media out there stealing from their from their uh, pot? No, of course not. They think that if if there was no conservative outlet, they think that if there was no conservative outlet, then people would just be listening to their to their stations. That's the way they think. Now, we obviously know that's not true. In fact, in fact, the more, the more that you eliminate speech, the more people will try and find another outlet. Because they're not just, people don't just accept, people don't just accept the, um, the tyranny. They don't just accept it. So, so that's, that's another, that's another theory. It's really just to eliminate competition. They want to eliminate competition. But, but I'm going to tell you another theory. I'm going to give you another theory. The other theory is, you know, before we do that, let's, 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 before we do that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to delve into that, to that theory for a moment here. No, you know, let's 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 discuss a third theory. The third theory is, the third theory is, is that big tech is actually afraid. Big tech is actually afraid. Can you hear the rain? Wow, coming down hard. One second here. Wow, that is a heavy, uh, a heavy hailstorm. Look, look at that. Okay, so there's a there's a third theory. Let's discuss a third theory here. Then we'll then we'll maybe discuss each one on its own. The third theory is is that big tech is actually afraid that the left, the left are going to come after them. And if the left comes after them, well, they're toast. How would the left come after them? 
we discussed the idea of, of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. And what Section 230 does, Section 230 gives immunity to these tech platforms that in essence, they operate as a, in essence, a telecom company. Okay? So you have, you have whichever company, let's take Bezik, for example. Bezik isn't having their speech silenced. It says Bezik, Bezik isn't silencing the, the, the calls of people. Bezik isn't listening into the calls of people and silencing it and silencing them. So that in theory is the, is the, is the relationship that big tech has as well. Big tech is not silencing the people on their, officially isn't supposed to be silencing the people on their site. I have this, uh, report here that I prepared. You can't find it obviously. How it goes. Um, big, forgive me. Big tech, the sec, section 230. Section 230. Here, let's pull it up here. It's an article written by Jeffrey Lax on Daily Wire. How big tech's bullying of parlor and non-compliance with Section 230 could lead to its demise. In 2017, Google was sued by the family of Nohemi Gonzalez, a 26-year-old American trust, American student studying abroad who was tragically murdered in the 2015 ISIS Paris attacks that killed 130 innocent people. The terrorists used Google's YouTube service to actively recruit, plan, incite, and even give instructions for the terror attacks. Incredibly, Google conceded all of these facts, but argued successfully that it should not be held liable because of protections provided by the social media companies under the, the Communications Decency Act or otherwise known as Section 230. The court agreed with Google, finding that it was protected under Section 230, and it was not the publisher. Okay, this is the difference. Google, Twitter, Facebook are not considered considered publisher publishers like Simon and Schuster would be of Josh Hawley's book. Instead, instead they are considered platforms like the telephone company. And just like the telephone company isn't going to be held accountable for conversations said over the telephone, so too the mechan the, the, the you know the, the the legal mechanism of of section 230 gives pub gives gives these otherwise publishers a a loophole status. While controversial, section 230 is clear, an internet service provider, ISP, such as a social media company, is not required to moderate content and cannot be held liable for third parties who post legally problematic or even dangerous material. In other words, social media companies are permitted to simply be loudspeakers, telephones, headphones, and public squares. They may exist solely to deliver other people's content without interference and without fear of legal action. Section 230 has not changed since 2017, but Google's mercurial positions certainly have. Most recently, as we mentioned, uh, purging the president and conservatives. I'm just skipping around here. Shortly thereafter, yeah, shortly thereafter, Google removed social media app Parler. In a stunning and irreconcilable shift from its court position of 2017, Google explained that the company requires that apps implement robust moderation for egregious content. 
Indeed, it is clear that Google has modified its content policies and has banned many terror-affiliated accounts since the 2017 lawsuit, but it nevertheless maintains its legal position that it committed no wrongdoing in simply allowing third parties to, third parties to post incitement or violence on its plat- platform. Google has not paid a dime or admitted any liability to the Gonzalez family for Nahemi's death. Now, after effectively using these 230, Section 230 as a shield against liability, Google wields it as a sword against Parler, arguing that Parler somehow does not enjoy the same statutory protections of Section 230 that Google relied on and still relies upon. In other words, Google appears to now be taking the position that its internal policies related to community standards and or content moderation somehow supersede the statute that permits Parler to allow third-party posts without modification or censorship and without fear of legal action. Somehow it applies, you know, it's like the classic rules for thee, but not for, but rules for, for thee, but not for me. Somehow, uh, Google now says that Section 230's protections allowing internet service providers, internet services like Parler simply to act as a public square can be retroactively repealed by that all-powerful private company's policies. And congressional legislation be damned. Google cannot have it both ways. Either Google is not liable for ISIS incitement on YouTube, and either is par liable for incitement by third parties on its site, or both are liable. So, look, this is this is this obviously goes much further, and it's and and the question is really going to be how the the legislation deals with this. But we have to understand the background. We have to understand what the positions are of Google that that they are not responsible for the content. Now there is um, Project Veritas. Project Veritas has released uh, a video. Project Veritas, they have some uh, some real backbone, some real spine, and what they do is they go and find, um, they'll go and, 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 and obviously uh, the person who's, the person who is being uh, videoed or recorded doesn't know, but they will get some very edgy, controversial recording from somebody in some major company, and they'll expose it. And they'll expose it, and they did a re- remarkable job just this week. I'm going to play a couple clips. We're going to play these clips so we can understand exactly this. One of these three, and we have these three different positions. One is that they really believe it. They are really, really interested in censoring any speech that's contrary to theirs. And they don't care about the consequences. No profits, nothing. They're not concerned. They are uh, tyrannical. You know, they are uh, authoritarian, fascistic. You know, you name it, they are it. That's the first position. The second position is is that this is you know that they're, they're, this is just an economic you know um, they want to just eliminate competition. It's, you know, just a, a strategy, a, a monetary strategy. And the third is that they are are just trying to keep the um, the Democrats out of their pockets. It's, it's sort of connected to the second, but it's 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 different than the second, obviously. Okay, so let's play this clip here. This is coming from one of the major uh, uh, the Vijaya Gadi. Okay, she's head of legal policy. 
What she's talking about here is is uh, deplatforming the president. That's what she's talking about. That, that, that when they kicked the president off, there were those who wanted him to be permanently suspended. Permanently suspended. A suspension. Yeah, suspension is temporary. I thought always thought, but okay. Uh, they're calling it a permanent suspension versus a temporary suspension. So uh, you know, expulsion versus suspension. But I guess that doesn't matter. It's semantics. So they call it a permanent suspension. So there were those who wanted them to to. Um, to permanently suspend the president, and they took the approach of, of just temporarily suspending him. So, obviously it was a judgment call, um, and we're relying on judgment of, uh, you know, our teams and your leadership, me, Jack, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, that was the judgment that we made, was that was the right approach. I can totally see why other people would come to a different conclusion, and it's a reasonable So that's that's the this lady did not know that she was being videoed. She did not know that this was going to be leaked. Obviously, this was a private uh, meeting, but this is a a bombshell. You know, we get to see exactly how Twitter applies its policies. Remember, Khomeini in Iran, he didn't get face any any suspension. Uh, you know, you can go through the list of all sorts of people who spew vile hatred. And they don't, they don't get it. And all of a sudden, the president. Now, now we have here, the next clip is Jack Dorsey, who, I mean, the nicest thing you can say about him is he looks unwell. That's the nicest thing you can say about him. You can't see this clip, but the nicest thing you can say about this man is he looks unwell. There are far worse things you can say. Uh, he is, he, he, he looks like a psychopath. Okay. Uh, let's listen to what he has to say. If you're on the inside of big So there you go. We are doing everything we can. The Twitter's being being used in a positive way, a positive way that affects society. Now, you know, I think there's a I think there's a great debate that can be ha- held whether or not they should have this immunity. I think there's a great debate. Uh, you know, ultimately there is a difference between a uh, a a phone provider telephone service provider where nobody gets to hear the conversations unless you're privy to that call versus a tweet or a post that's seen by everybody. There's a, you know, there's an argument to be made that's different, but that's not how the law treats them. And so if the law gives them immunity under section 230, then they are not allowed to selectively apply the law now they have been summoned in front of congress and they have lied and lied and lied because ultimately they want as you heard jack dorsey say and and this other lady they want to uh, maintain a certain community standard right they want to they want to have a they want to have a a positive impact 
a positive impact. <laughs> so that's why they're applying. So you go look. There, there's there, there are different. There are, there's definitely there are different approaches to take. Right now, Twitter is being sued in British Columbia, okay, province on the far west coast of Canada, and Twitter is trying to have that lawsuit relocated to America. So, what's the issue? The issue is, is that there was there was damage done to somebody through some tweet, some defamation was done to Twitter through the, some tweet, and it happened in um, in in uh, British Columbia. That's where it happened. The damage, the tweet was done in in in, in was was sent in in British Columbia. The defamation occurred in British Columbia. So, so this is a um, a lawsuit that's been. That's been um, wedged in in uh, that's been that's been uh, filed in British Columbia, and they're trying to have it relocated. Now, this comes into the the the, the what's most what's most noteworthy from this is why do they want it relocated? Because they know that they aren't going to be sub- sub- subject to anything if it's relocated to to California. Nothing. There's nothing that's going to happen to them if it gets relocated to California. So wh- that's why they want it. And this actually comes down from a, a – a, I think it was a Supreme Court ruling or wherever it was. Uh, it's called Haaretz.com versus Goldhar, Haaretz of the Israeli publisher, uh, that it it was sued. It was sued for content that it published, I think, in Israel. And um, it was Supreme Court of Canada also. Uh, it was the Supreme Court of Canada also. So that's why it was – that's what it's – it was the Supreme Court of Canada that – that they were sued, even though it was it was um, it was a report coming from Supreme Court of Canada ruled that Israel was clearly the most appropriate forum for a multi-jurisdictional defamation suit brought by Canadian businessman Mitchell Goldhart against the Israeli media group Haaretz, which is part of the, it's one of the international it's, it's the international New York Times, so that's we we know it's politics. The case concerned an article published by Haaretz, which was critical of Goldhart's management of a professional Israeli football team he owned. The article was published in Israel, but it was also available online in English and hence accessible to Canadians. Though Goldhart had a reputational interest in both jurisdictions, he attempted to sue for defamation in the Canadian courts. On appeal, Supreme Court of Canada applied the simplest simpliciter test and the forum non-convenience uh, uh, analysis to determine the most fair and efficient way to proceed based on convenience, expense, and ease of enforcement would be to move the hearing to Israel. Okay, so that's that, that's where that's where this is the, the the facts behind this case. But what this what's what's noteworthy about this case is that Twitter just gives a little bit of an insight, a little background. Twitter is genuinely concerned about being held accountable for content. Okay. They are genuinely concerned about this issue. So we shouldn't make it as though now in America they 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 have no liability, but on on a you know worldwide, worldwide you see that they are that they are concerned. So part of the idea of of attacking the conservatives isn't just because they're worried that the conservatives are going to say something that's going to affect them. No, it's that they want to stay in the good books of. The politicians that are going to ultimately have to decide their fate potentially. So if that means working on their behalf and removing content that they, that the, the, the leftist politicians are going to find 
are going to find obscene and inciting, insightful, uh, inciting, insightful, then they are going to have a greater chance at surviving this this storm against them. So that's 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 how this that's how um, again that is definitely another angle to understand to understand the to understand the approach from Twitter. Um, I'll just read out something here from the judgment because the judge decided that he, in British Columbia he wasn't going to move. The, the, now, we'll see how this plays out. This, is just, this was just the first stage. What, if anything, distinguishes the case at bar from Haaretz for the purposes of jurisdiction simpliciter? At root, the principal's factor... The principal factor relied on by Twitter is that it is a platform which posts messages created by others. It cannot therefore be expected to defend actions in any jurisdiction in which an allegedly defamed person has a reputation and which the offending tweet has been assessed, accessed. This is somewhat circular argument because it depends on, in part on the substantive law that might be applied, namely whether an un mediated platform such as Twitter is legally responsible for content posted by or tweeted by others. This is not a settled point in Canadian law and the point was not argued in this hearing. It is not something that should be determined in a jurisdictional challenge. In any event, in any event, in this case, I think the point is answered for the purpose of this application by the fact that on December 9th, 2016, Solicitors for Mr. Gustira wrote jointly to Twitter's Inc. General Counsel and Twitter Canada's General Manager complaining of the tweets. Although letter did not specifically mention that Mr. Gustra's reputation in Canada was being damaged, the letter came from a law firm in Toronto. Mr. Gustra's notice of civil claim lists in its Appendix 79 tweets sent subsequent to the letter that is stated to be a small sample of the tweets. In short, for some of the tweets, Twitter was aware of the contents. Okay, so this is, again, so this is, uh, this is not settled in Canada. Section 230 applies to America. And so I think Twitter really is hoping that they are going to be able to stay in the good books of politicians. And if, you know, it's a you scratch my back, I scratch yours, I'll eliminate your competition and hopefully you will take care of this for me. So it doesn't mean that they are not Psychotic doesn't mean that Jack Dorsey isn't a, 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 a doesn't really want to eliminate speech that he doesn't agree with. Doesn't mean that he you know it's it's been if you watched any of the uh, congressional hearings, uh, Mike Mark Zuckerberg comes off as somebody who believes in free speech, and Jack Dorsey comes off as somebody who has never heard of it. So that's just uh, that's just how they uh, that they're they, how they're perceived. Okay, I think you know. Again, we're gonna obviously revisit this 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 conversation. We're gonna obviously uh, there's lots to discuss about this. I want to just t- take on another take on this angle. Um, Max Boot, Max Boot, because we have to realize just how far this is going, just how far they're trying to take this. Uh, Max Boot, we all know. We are, for anyone who doesn't know who who, who Max Boot is, have here. <laughs> he there was an article. There's an article in published in Breitbart. An article published in Breitbart by uh, Max Boot, where he basically wants to eliminate. 
He wants to, he wants, he wants the, uh, he wants the blacklist. You know, they've talked about, uh, they've talked about anybody who is a uh, conservative, anybody who's a conservative, uh, who worked for the president, who was, uh, who's talked about how the election was fraudulent, whatever the, 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 um, definition is that's ever, ever changing, whatever it is, they want them to be they want them to be deprogrammed. They want them to be ousted. They, you know, from society. There's, there's no end to how much. Who is Max Boot? Max Boot, born in in Moscow to Jewish parents in 1969, he emigrated to America as a child in 1976. Graduated Berkeley and Yale. Considered a strong supporter of Israel, and has opposed dismantling settlements up until Donald J. Trump identified as a conservative. In fact, was a proud neocon, which, you know, is a term that's been thrown around, you know, it's very hawkish about war, promote interventionism, you know, this idea that America is supposed to intervene and, and, and supposed to be a nation building state. That was the concept of, an, of, of a neocon. Although in 2019 proposed to retire that label, endorsed Hillary in 2016 and said would sooner vote for Stalin than he would Donald J. Trump. Now, what made Max Boot a little bit different than other um, never-Trumpers, as the term came to be, was that many ne- other ne- never-Trumpers, they themselves maintained that they never changed in their values and their morals. That it was everybody else who changed. So either people went and became like a Max Boot, that even things that they had always recognized were thre- the threats of, that they never that they you know they never endorsed or they never agreed with or or <laughs> or they um or they became like uh, they they became strong supporters of the president even things that they had themselves never agreed with because the president said it that they now agreed. Now these people, so the, the middle ground never Trumpers, they said, no, we're staying consistent and everybody else has changed. Now obviously, you're allowed to be, to change your position, you know, but your position shouldn't necessarily change just because one side over the other, you agree with, you know, you agree with, you hate Donald Trump, so everything Donald Trump now stands for, you oppose. You know, I've said many times that the media, when the media come out and say something, I'm going to often take the other position. It doesn't mean I'm going to always take the other position. It doesn't mean I'm not going to think about what the media are saying, but we have to realize that if the media, you know, but, it, but that if, if the media, that if, that there is, there is obviously, we do operate this way. We have to be honest with ourselves. We do operate this way, but at the same time, we have to be honest. So nonetheless, many never Trumpers boast that they never changed. Rather that, rather everyone else has, but Max Boot definitely has. White, white male privilege are just a couple examples. But in 2017, he was quoted saying in the last few years, in particular, it has become impossible for me to deny the reality of discrimination, harassment, even violence that people of color and women continue to experience in modern day America from a power structure that remains for the most part in the hands of straight white males. People like me, in other words, whether I realize it or not, I have benefited from my skin color and my gender and those of a different gender or sexuality or skin color have suffered because of it. Okay. So this is a little background into who Max Boot is. Now we understand never Trumper, da da da, Trump derangement syndrome of the, of the greatest kind. In a Monday op-ed, Washington Post called on heavyweight telecommunications corporations to shut down conservative cable news outlets, including Fox News, One America News, and Newsmax TV, comparing the need to do so with that of shutting down foreign terrorist influencers. 
The essay penned by prominent Trump critic Max Boot, a post-colonist, a CNN global affairs analyst, begins by explaining how merely holding the president president accountable for his role in inciting this violent insurrection is insufficient. There is a whole infrastructure of incitement that will remain intact even after Trump leaves office, Boot writes. Just as we do with foreign terrorist groups, so we do with domestic terrorists. We need to shut down the influencers who radicalize people and set them on the path toward violence and sedition. The essay then heaps praise on the recent purging of conservative voices on social media platforms by tech giants, hoping that broadcast media will follow suit. So again, they want the the cable companies to eliminate any conservative vo- voice. Anyone who cherishes our democracy should be grateful to the management of Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites for their newfound sense of social responsibility, the op-ed reads. We should expect at least, can you imagine this person at any point, any point in his life identified as a conservative? We should expect at least the same level of responsibility from broadcast media, in particular from Fox News, which has the largest reach on the right. The essay then criticizes Fox News for not issuing an edict to stop spreading the false claims regarding election fraud. Cumulus Media, one of America's largest talk radio companies, has ordered its hosts, as we reported on our show, in, who includes some Fox News personalities to stop spreading false claims of election fraud, boot rights, but Fox News itself has issued no such edict. The author then suggested if key members of the Murdoch family, which owns News Corp and its sister company Fox News, won't comply, then large cable carriers should have Fox News shut down. If they won't listen, then large cable companies such as Comcast and Charter Spectrum, which carry Fox News and provide much of its revenue in the form of its user of user fees, need to step in and kick Fox News off, states Boot. States Boot. The essay also targeted other conservative outlets, smaller competitors, there's one, one American News and Newsmax, continue to incite viewers, they too should be booted off. Claiming the United Kingdom doesn't have its own version of Fox News due to a government regulator, the essay concludes with a demand that Joe Biden take heed as President Biden needs to reinvigorate the FCC. The essay is part of a host of calls on the left to shun conservative voices and at a time of unprecedented purges of such voices on various social media platforms. This week, CNN, where Boot is a fellow contributor, began pushing the conservative media outlets such as All One American News and, and Newsmax to be blacklisted. Earlier this month, Forbes uh, op-ed warned companies about hiring fabulous from the Trump administration. Okay, and we've discussed all these things. So this is uh, um, Max Boot. He believes that um, he, he believes that Fox News should be eliminated. Um, you know, he 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 is definitely taking, I think, the position not to eliminate competition. Like, but I think he really wants it, um, speech. He doesn't understand how dangerous it is the moment you start eliminating speech. And I and I, I want to just I want to just uh, mention an idea. You know, the the left. I'm gonna I'm gonna just let this ferment a little. I'm gonna ferment ferment a little. I'm gonna just mention this. I'm not really going to delve into it too much. We have to realize that the left's approach to speech is it the same approach to this virus yes speech can hurt some people it's true we know that in halacha the son kali we know that there's lashon hara there is the concept that speech 
can hurt people. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna start to examine how speech comes in, in the halach. I'm not gonna, I'm not getting into that. I'm simply saying that speech can hurt somebody. There are things that people can say that can hurt somebody. This virus does pose a potential harm to some people. But nine, like, but just like the virus, the 99.9% of people will recover so too it is with speech. However, what does the left want? The left wants safe spaces. They want quarantine. The left wants anybody who isn't to- say, who is, who's, who's, who's saying contrary speech should be eliminated, masked. The endless, there are endless parallels because this is how they operate. The fact that some people have bought into it when it comes to the virus is sad, to say the least. Everything, when you look at this virus, it is exactly the same way. There's only one solution to this virus. Only one solution to the speech issue. We have to be vaccinated, inoculated, deprogrammed. I can go on. I can go on. The slightest trigger. We have no idea. And just like speech, they themselves are immune. They can tweet things that are anti, anti LGBT and they will still maintain their positions. They're not going to be fired. They can, they can, they can get on their, on, on their platforms and say something that's vile and hate and hate and, and, and hate and, 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 and inciting. And they can continue from their platforms to tell us how we are causing people to die. Rules for thee, but not for me. They don't have to follow any of their own rules. It is the exact same Oh, yeah. Um, what a shame. What a shame. Somebody sent me a message while I was broadcasting a certain leftist, and I was really hoping to read it after. I hadn't read it yet. And I didn't get to read it because he deleted it. I'm going to have to find out why he's deleted it. Maybe he didn't mean to send it to me. In any case, okay, so that is, that is today's, that is that, that is that topic for today. We will obviously get back to it, but let's just, again, we have to, we have to realize how they're, what, what game they're playing here. Safe spaces, quarantine. Okay, fine. Today, as is the last broadcast where I can, where the president is the president. Officially, meaning he'll always be president, but meaning he is, there will be an inauguration as it appears later on today. The president is not going, and anyone who thinks that he should go are wrong. I don't, I don't believe he should go. I'm happy he's not going. He's not going to legitimize. But, um, okay, okay. John Nolte from Breitbart, a great voice from Breitbart. On his last day in office, last full day in office, President Trump, President Donald Trump enjoys a 51% approval rating. According to Rasmussen reports, only 
one of only about three polling firms that have proved a proven track record of, for legitimacy and accuracy. Most of the other polls are rigged, fake, and garbage, not worth another's on anyone's time. There are a lot of media polls. His approved disapproval rating sits at just 48%. There are a lot of media polls that show Trump's approval rating in the low 40s and even in the 30s. But over the course of the last few election cycles, we have learned that these are almost all fake polls, rigged polls, polls that in no way reflect reality. And we know this because when the ultimate poll is taken on election day, the media polls are all wrong. The whole point of media polls is to mislead, demoralize, and deceive the American people into believing Trump is less popular than he really is. Time and again, Rasmussen has proven to be reliable and accurate, which tells us the insanity of the Capitol Hill riot and the corporate media's determination to blame the president for it. Even though he expressly called on what crowd, on that crowd to be respectful and peaceful, even though he almost immediately called for the anarchy to stop once it began, okay, which is more than any Democrat has ever done, it is is not penetrating into the electorate 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 at large. People don't trust the media and are not listening to the media. And why should they? The media have lied about everything for nearly a decade now. So basically, all this unfounded left wing hysteria is affecting absolutely nothing outside the corporate media bubble. Even though the hysteria has gone so far that we now have to look at the Kabuki theater of the military shutting down Washington D.C which includes fences covered in razor wire, is all being done in an effort to fool people into believing Trump supporters are some sort of danger to his fraudulency, Joe Biden's inauguration. He doesn't call him president. He calls him his fraudulent, his fraudulency, Joe Biden. I think we're going to actually adopt that term. Oh, and did you know there is no there is no evidence of any threats against his fraudulency? That's right. None. What's more, in this particular poll, Trump's job approval rating has actually increased since the Capitol Hill riot. What had been a 47 percent approval rating on January 7th is now a 51 percent approval rating, a bump of four points in approval. Because Wednesday is Trump's last full day in office. This will be Rasmussen's final tracking of his daily approval numbers. I do hope that those of you still naive enough to be fooled by the fake news media pay attention to this poll. One trick the fake media are quite good at is delivering the impression they can still shape public opinion and move that needle. But what more proof do you need of how impotent the modern day media are than this poll? For two weeks, the public have been gaslit by every corner of this dominant culture into believing Trump called for a riot and that D.C. is under imminent threat of attack by Trump supporters. When the truth is that there's zero evidence of any kind of attack to back up this nonsense, his fraudulency and Capitol Hill Democrats have basically declared martial law around the White House. And what's the result? Trump's approval rating has increased and he leaves office with a perfectly respectable 51%. Don't let the media grifters and liars fool you. The only power they have left is to gin up violence in Democrat-run cities. No one else is paying attention. So thank you, John Nolte. That is a a, a great summation of exactly, exactly what the left wing media their what their value is and he has another report we're not going to read it now but how that that he and and biden are tied 
Okay, so this is, you know, we shouldn't believe polls. They're suppression polls. They're just there in order to, in order to, um, they're just there in order to suppress the voice. As we wind down, as we wind down today's broadcast, I'm going to play a couple clips. A couple clips. The first clip here, let's see here, the first clip here is the president, is, is, is a montage. I'm going to play a montage of all those who said that the president will never be president. It's a great montage. I'll give a little commentary along the way as to who exactly are we listening to. Actors, politicians, pundits, you name it. Their prediction, he will never be president. Because as we wind down these last five years and we look back at our political evolution on an individual level and on a global and societal level, we can enjoy and bask in the glory of Donald J. Trump. Yeah, President Donald Trump. Um, George Clooney. Bernie Sanders. He's not going to be president. Nancy Pelosi. Is not, Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Okay. I guarantee it. All right. All right. You think if he's Tom Hanks. President here, make, make it great because the states is already great. I think that man will be president of the United States right about the time that spaceships come down filled with dinosaurs and red capes. On that note, Tom. <laughs> Pleasure. Take it Thank from me. How about that? Yes, and then, of course, there's Donald Trump. Okay. I'm going to pause again. This it was a very famous uh, joke. Wasn't so funny. I, I, I dare say it was a three minute, whatever I mean, he spoke for however long he was. Um, what's his name? Uh, I just can't blank of his name all of a sudden. I don't remember it. Um, the White House Correspondents Dinner. Okay. This was a, a great, great, great clip. And, uh, 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 um, this, the White House Correspondents Dinner, he, he said the, the president had been talking about running. Okay. 2011 and 2000 for 2012. He talked about it. So at the White House Correspondents Dinner, you remember that White House Correspondents Dinner? So anyway, so he, um, oh my gosh, I just can't think of his name. I'll remember it. Anyway, so this is his joke. This was a fa- this was a very famous joke because this is many people considered this is what spawned it really really encouraged the president. And just remember one thing: it took the president. He didn't he didn't run in 2012. He didn't run in 2012. He ran in 2016. Okay, so to, for anyone who thinks that you can count the president out now just because he didn't get a second term now. We don't count the president out. That's not his character. That's not his personality. He 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 sat there and he listened to this abuse. Okay, Obama hit him at many. He was always at the correspondence center. He was he Obama hit him. We're gonna just listen to the, let, let this one let this one play out. He's been saying that he will run for president as a Republican. Seth Meyers, which is surprising since I just assumed he was running as a joke. You can see the president sitting there. The president knows how to take a joke. The president subjected himself to a roast. I don't encourage anyone to go watch it. Uh, but 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 there was a roast. The president in two in 2012, Comedy Central had the president, and everybody comes there with, the, with these roasts. They all get go go go, and they and and you get roasted. They have the most uh, uh, you know vile and 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 whatever attacks that they can can think of you. 
and the president in his in you know when he they were the, everyone there yeah Snoop Dogg these people who consider him to be the worst person today the president subjected himself and he laughed along and they made fun of him no problem here he's sitting there and and and, and he's going to run for president and I was going to run as a joke right that's Seth Myers okay let's continue a little everyone's laughing. Donald Trump. Just last week, he confirmed to the National Review that he is again considering a run in 2016. Do it. Do, do it. Look, look at me. Do it. I will personally write you a campaign check now on behalf of this country, which does not want you to be president, but which badly wants you to run. So when you stand John Oliver. Over that State of the Union address. That was John Oliver, of course, and this is coming up is, is, is Obama. Your mind or brain, can you imagine Donald Trump standing up one day and delivering a State of the Union address? Well, I can imagine it uh, in a Saturday night skit. I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. He will never Elizabeth Warren. be president of the United States. And uh, we better be ready for the fact that he better be the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe George that. George Stephanopoulos. <laughs> you don't believe that. Sorry to laugh. <laughs> laugh. Right, here we are. Bill and Maher. Republican candidate has the best chance of winning the general election. And Coulter responds. Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. Everyone laughs. Joy Reid is there laughing hysterically. Joy Reid. She's still on, on prime time despite her... And so, right now, Mr. Trump, to answer Stephen your call Colbert. for political honesty, I just want to say, you're not going to be president, all right? It's been fun. I can go on. It's this, been great. This goes on and on you. and on. But, but, but come on, come on, buddy. All, let's say, cow poo-poo aside... There is zero chance we'll be seeing you being sworn in on the Capitol steps with your hand on a giant golden Bible. I'll make a prediction, though, for you. I, I, okay. I don't really... Okay, and it, it goes on and on. I, like I said, we can go on and on. The reality is, is we get to gloat. We get to go gloat because the president, he bested everybody. I'm going to play one last one here. This is a very famous clip where Barack Hussein Obama was on Jimmy Kimmel. I believe it was. It's Jimmy Kimmel. And they do this, this segment called Mean Tweets. Mean Tweets, where they read out tweets that, the, that were tweeted about that celebrity. President Barack Hussein Obama here. Listen to his, uh, listen to, listen to this one if you haven't heard it. Shark NATO 4. <laughs> president Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point, at real Donald Trump. <laughs> well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. Okay, very good. So, set the mood. I've just set the mood. That is the... Uh, that is that is, that, that, that 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 is only a handful. That's only a handful. There were many other, there were many other clips, and we can just think about the last five years and how much exactly was spewed. But there was there was one there was one um, particular clip by Sam Harris. Sam Harris had in his um in his um podcast after the election in his podcast after the election he said that 
he 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 gave like a a diagnostic of the of the election and what it means. And so I have here his his clip. Here it is. This is a so a three minute clip here. That was here. okay, right here. Listen to this. So, let's hope he's a quick study, and let's hope there are thousands of good people who are willing to work for him. Which brings up a point I saw raised on social media by a few people. No matter how horrified you are by this result, no matter how judgmental you are of the people who enabled him, people like Paul Ryan, you have to hope that the best people available will come forward now and be willing to serve in Trump's administration. People with good reputations and real expertise. So, so we can't afford to question the motives or integrity of anyone who would join this administration. We want the best people who can get in the door. I'm going to pause this for one second. Think of the idea that we've read out a number of times. Even today, Forbes wants to, um, f- you know, de- force anybody who's you know they're, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna block anybody who from the trump administration from getting another job what kind of what kind of precedent does that send send what kind of what kind of um uh you know attitude does that send that you know if you work if you work for this administration you're never going to get another job again are we really going to find the best people this is an argument that's made you know if somebody enters politics and he's going to be crucified what kind of people are going to enter politics it took a donald j trump with all of his you know, indiscretions. It took him to be able to withstand this because only somebody like that. What is what is that doing to society? Okay, that that should be the only interruption. Otherwise, let's just listen. And we have to hope that being president of the United States brings out the best in Donald Trump. Campaigning for the presidency brought out the worst. It showed what he's like as an embattled narcissist and fabulist and demagogue. But now he's won, right? Now he will be surrounded by people seeking the, the warm glow of his power. Now he will inspire fear, right? Actual fear, not merely scorn in his critics. He is no longer just a clown. He's the most powerful clown on earth. We have to hope that winning to this degree will pacify some of his demons. Is there a historical or psychological precedent for this? I have no idea. But we're about to find out what happens to a man with a a famously, palpably, visibly unhealthy ego who suddenly triumphs over everyone who ever doubted him. I mean, this was a man when he voted in New York at his polling place got jeered by a crowd on Tuesday in a city that voted 87% against him. And one day he's going to ride back into town on Air Force One. Imagine the way his ego feels right now. I mean, just imagine the satisfaction Trump will feel when he takes possession of the White House and shows President Obama the door. The first black president who humiliated him in front of all the Washington elites at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Go watch footage of that. All those laughs at his expense. 
mean, Trump has been a punchline for decades. Okay, he's been the Rodney Dangerfield of billionaires. Okay, but that moment with Obama at the podium was the worst. And now he gets to tell Barack Hussein Obama to get out of his house and then tear his legacy to shreds. You've got the first black president being shown the door by a man who always questioned his legitimacy in racist terms and who has now been officially endorsed by the KKK. Only Shakespeare could do this moment justice. Thank you, Sam Harris. I listened to that. I can't tell you how many times at the time uh, when you know in in, in 2016 because Sam uh, put it, put put something into words that obviously many had felt the the, the, the justice the you know the, the only Shakespeare could do it justice. I want to just address one thing there. Donald Trump is not a racist. We know that Donald Trump's triumph here. As we recognize that Donald Trump is just a clee, it's just a vessel for the average American. Donald Trump winning was also a triumph for every American. And he said that, you know, that he was, that he, he was able to show Obama the door. The president's, the president, uh, furthered an, a, it's what's called a conspiracy, an idea called birtherism. Birtherism is that the president, that, 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 that Obama wasn't born in America. And I'm not going to get into this topic because I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it out right now. And there's what to talk about it later on at a different, different point. But it was, um, there was, there was a book. There was a book that Obama had published and his literary agent, his literary agent titled, uh, uh, claimed that he was from Kenya. Okay, Obama's former literary agent, agency misidentified his birthplace as Kenya while trying to promote the then Harvard Law grad as an author in 91. Now, of course, this is part of identity politics. It existed 30 years ago as well. That's why Elizabeth Warren was an Indian, because when you are able to claim yourself as part of some sort of victimhood, then you will get 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 further. Obama was black, but being black isn't the same thing as being from Kenya. So. We have to imagine this wasn't an accident. Either it was intentional that he, either, either it was true that it was that he was born in Kenya, which could potentially have disqualified him, not necessarily, but could have disqualified him. His mother, I think, was born in America, which, according to many, makes you qualified. But regardless, he was born in Kenya, or or they specifically lied in order to get him further in Harvard. Okay, so you can't have both. It wasn't just an accident. She didn't, she didn't just assume he was born in Kenya. According to a promotional booklet produced by the agency Acton and Deistel, to show its roster of writers, Obama was born in Kenya and raised in Indonesia and Hawaii. Miriam Godrich edited the text of the bio. She is now a partner of the Deistel and Godrich agency, which now lists Obama as one of its current clients. There's nothing more than a fact-checking error by me, an agency assistant at the time, Godrich wrote. In an, e- in an email statement to the Yahoo News, there was never any information given to us by Obama in any of his correspondence or any other communications suggesting in any way that he was born in Kenya or Hawaii. I hope you can communicate to your readers this is a simple mistake and nothing more. A copy, copy of the booklet was published on, uh, on Breitbart.com under the headline, Obama's Literary Agent 91 Booklet. Okay, um, fine. So that is 
Barack Obama, the first African-American president of Harvard Law Review, was born in Kenya and raised in Indonesia. This is the full bio. And Hawaii, the son of American anthropologist and Kenyan a finance minister, he attended Columbia University and worked as a financial journalist and editor for Business International Corporation. He served as a project coordinator in Harlem for the New York Public Interest Research Group and was executive director of the Developing Community Communities Project in Chicago South Side. Okay, I'm not going to read this. Nothing to do with Barack. I don't care about Barack Obama. But just understand the background behind birtherism. Okay? So when when Sam Harris says that it was in racist terms, it wasn't in racist terms. It wasn't in racist terms. It was in legal terms. If he wasn't born in America, then according to many, that disqualified him from being president. And, and you take what you get. That's what the president taught us. You don't fight on the purest grounds, you fight whatever is going to get you the victory. And if you're going to get him ousted for this, you get him ousted for this. He was not legitimate, not because he wasn't a was he wasn't born in America. He was destroying America as far as the president saw. Okay, so that's just a little background there. But I want to I want to give a little bit of a of a of a, of a additional uh, sugar on the top as we end today's broadcast. There was a reference. There was a reference to the president in a book written by Obama where he described Donald J. Trump as the American dream. Americans have a continuing normative commitment to the ideals of individual freedom and mobility, values that extend far beyond the issue of race in the American mind. The depth of this commitment may be summarily dismissed as the unfounded optimism of the average American. I may not be Donald Trump now, but just you wait. If I don't make it, my children will. Now, that was a a, a statement he wrote, but of course, after the president became as uh, um, reviled as he became, Hated as he became, so of course he couldn't say that, so they had to issue the reference to Trump, gained attention after the publication of the book Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama by David J. Garrow. While discussing the paper, which according to him was intended to be part of a manuscript, Garrow included the following expert, okay, in his book. So, so that was the, that was, it wasn't, he wasn't really saying that Donald Trump was the American dream. But we can say that Donald J. Trump is the American dream. Growing up in Canada, I can tell you that a child you didn't have this in Canada, but as uh, my opinion, my impression from Americans were that becoming president of the United States was the pinnacle. Again, becoming prime minister of Canada is not doesn't have the same is, is isn't revered the same way. Becoming prime minister of Israel, I don't even think is on most people's tongue. I don't even think it's in there. It's they even have a of a desire. But becoming the president, there is there there is a a uh, majestic. Uh, idea of being the president and and no one can take that away from the president he achieved the pinnacle that has been our show today that has been our show today on the morning blend i am your host ellie shapiro new send your feedback on the name and anything else obviously i'm your host ellie shapiro we have hope you have a great day and please god we will be with you again tomorrow bye for now